Sorry. <laughs> uh, I've heard a lot of good things about this gentleman, and I'm really looking forward to hearing him today. So as he comes, won't you give him a, a round of applause and uh, welcome him this morning? Thank you. Hey, man, can you hear me? Am I, am I good? Okay, awesome. It's okay. I've heard worse when people have pronounced my name, so no problem. Uh, my last name you probably saw on the bulletin. Uh, who is this guy? Because it says he is a new member to uh, the ARC Fellowship. So I am that guy. And it's okay. I've heard worse with my name. Don't worry about botching my name. So I'm excited to be here. Um, we've been coming here for the last couple of months. My wife has been knowing Pastor Goodluck and Angela for many years, since her junior high and high school a- uh, days. She's actually babysat uh, their, their boys, uh, our boy, Omar. Omar. Where's Omar? There he is. He doesn't remember, but she did babysit him. So their relationship goes, goes way back. Um, I really can't say how excited I am to be here today because one of the things that I really, really do believe that God has gifted with is preaching the word of God. I love preaching the word. So I know you're probably thinking we don't know that guy, but this morning, hopefully you get a chance to know this guy. Um, my wife, she's on the front row. Wave your hand. Gloria, been married to her for 11 years. Um, I'm from Louisiana. Don't hold it against me. Okay, I got a, there's one. Okay, two. Anybody else? Twice, three times. Okay, Louisiana, I love crawfish. I love boudin. All right, I got a lot more amens for that. Amen, we're talking food now. So good, I, I'm your friend now. So she was a part of a ministry, moved to Louisiana, and uh, I met her. Uh, actually, I kind of saw her. We were doing a youth camp, and I remember seeing someone that really just caught my eye. At this time, I was never, I was not looking at my life. Um, I was 29 years old, and I remember seeing Gloria, and the Lord impressed upon me uh, something very special about her. I had gone away for a couple of weeks. I came back. We got a chance to know each other. Um, she fell in love with me. She proposed to me. And... Um, <laughs> Sorry, I actually made the first move. It's really a God story. Hopefully one day you can hear more about that story. So whenever we met and began to court, we began to date. It was for about two months. Then we had a six-month engagement. We got married, and now we have, four, 11 years later, we have four children. So we have doubled your nursery and your, um, your children's ministry. So hopefully you get a chance to meet them and see them if you have not already. They're wonderful. We love our children. It is ministry raising a family. How many of you can say amen who have children? It really is. That's your first and foremost ministry, your marriage and your children. So a little bit in the bulletin you may have already read, a little bit about of our history. Um, we have been a part of ministry for, for many years, many of our years. Uh, I was saved at the age of 16 in Jennings, Louisiana. Does anybody know where Jennings is? Wow, I'm surprised. Uh, you, you, if you blink your eyes, you will pass it on Interstate 10 going towards New Orleans. It's right before Lafayette, Louisiana. So anyway, you know where Jennings is. That's my hometown. From there, I moved to Lafayette and did ministry there for many years uh, with an incredible preacher and uh, a youth communicator. His name is Jacob Aranza. We started a church out there called Our Savior's Church. And from there, many campuses were birthed out of that. For, it, we start off with about 100 to 150 people, and thousands of people began to grow within that church as a multi-site campus. So I was a part of something pretty phenomenal that as a part of that, you get a chance to do a lot of different things. Youth ministry, children's ministry, pastoral care. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, you're kind of all hands-on. 
So I've done a lot of different things just to say that I've been privileged, I've been honored to be a part of that. We moved to Houston a little over four years ago, and ministry can be anything. For me, church ministry in a church setting was something I was very used to. So whenever I moved to Houston, God opened up the door for me to become a part of an organization called Chick-fil-A. Church ministry, Chick-fil-A. Never in a million years would I tell you then that that would have happened, but we both know that that door was open for a reason. I was willing to learn more about a business world and meet people in this business world and ministry and minister to people in this world and open up myself to that, knowing whatever God wanted to do, we were open to that. So for almost three years, I became a manager at Chick-fil-A 45 and Cross Timbers. Um, that's, a, that's in a different direction from here. And it's not the best location. I'm not trying to say anything bad about the location, but it was a ministry. It really was. And so from that position, I grew to be the senior manager of that restaurant. And I've learned to grow and appreciate for those who work non-conventional hours. There's people in this church and that you know people who work non-conventional. It's not a nine-to-five job. It's you can work from anywhere from three in the morning and work a 12-hour shift. Or you can work in late afternoon and work into the late hours of the night. How many of you know people like that? They have to work those kinds of hours. I don't really miss those hours, but I did what I had to do. And I appreciate people who do that. Because you've got to work hard. You've got to bust your tail to make things happen. And here's the deal. You're always around people. Everybody say people. Look around you. You're, sur- you're surrounded by people. If everyone was just like you, imagine that. Some of you are like, I love it. I don't think you would. Everybody in this room is different. You're made different. You're made special. You're made different for a reason. So I get to appreciate more about people, their life, where they're from. Their work life, their, 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 uh, their, the way they were made, and really begin to reach people and see people for who they are and where they were. So I'm saying all that to say this. We have grown in the last four years. Um, we we're a part of a ministry for over a year here at a, at a church. And so we, we're coming here, and we're, um, we're just believing and praying. And Lord, where do you want us as a family to minister and to be loving people to loving you where we are? We live right here in the neighborhood and uh, it just seemed fitting that we started coming to this church and we're praying about what God wants us to do. Pastor uh, Goodluck and Angela took us out to dinner one night, had a chance to meet them, get to know them a little bit better. And then he called me to his office one day a few weeks ago and began to talk a little more to get to know him. And so he said, by the way, do you like to preach? I said, yes, I do. He goes, okay, well, you're preaching in two weeks from now on this Sunday and did not give me the opportunity. Or, excuse me, he did not give me a yes or a no. He just said, you're preaching. So that's why I'm here today. I'm excited to be here today. Everybody say, there's meaning in the mud. So today's message is going to be how to love the mud. You're thinking, okay, that's interesting, right? Let me go a little bit deeper into this meaning. How many of you as a kid, you remember playing in the mud? Let's just keep it simple, okay? Okay, raise your hand again if you remember playing in the mud. Did you like playing in the mud? Yes, I I didn't hear a no in there. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. How many of your children like playing in the mud? Raise your hand. Okay, do you like your children playing in the mud? That's a different question. We've got a lot more no's for that. Why do you think it's interesting that you like to play in the mud and so do your children? You could get them all cleaned up, all dressed up, ready to go to church. But if there's a mud puddle, what do you think is going to happen to maybe some of your children or all of your children? They're walking the fine line. Let's go to church. Let's go to church. There's mud. There's mud. 
and they go to the mud. They're attracted to the mud. Why is it so attracted, attractive to go to the mud and play in the mud? It's funny because I do have some children of mine that no matter what we do and where we go, if there is a mud puddle, a water puddle, before I can get the words out of my mouth, they are already inside of that mud puddle and, mud, and that water puddle, jumping up and down, screaming, yay, it's fun, it's fun. Any I have kids like that? How many of you have kids like that? Okay. So then what do you have to do when they get muddy? No, you don't leave them like that. You've got to wash them up, right? You've got to clean them back up. There's a lot of things interesting about the mud. So whenever I look at my children and sometimes they will make a mess or get muddy, yes, it might make me upset and get me a little frustrated. And we clean them up and soon enough they're going to get messy and dirty again. It's just, it's just life. Whenever I look at what the Bible has to say about dust, about mud, and about dirt, it's really interesting. I think if you follow along with me, you're going to see with me that the Bible has a lot to say about this thing called dirt and mud, getting messy, getting dirty. Genesis chapter 2 is kind of my foundation of Scripture of where I want to start and where I'm going to build off of and go from there. In Genesis 2, um, verse 7, it says this, then the Lord, gave, uh, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I could really kind of camp out on this scripture a lot, but I know I have to go through this pretty quickly here. If you look at this scripture, and it says, For the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Where do we come from? The dust. Very good. We came from the dust of the ground, and he said he breathed into his nostrils, and the breath of life came into man, and therefore the man began to live. So we see something very, very important here. There's the word dust, where we know that we came from. He said he formed man from dust. Everybody say dust. So there's a little bit of dirt inside of you and I. That's where we came from. God said, okay, I love the creation of the world. I've created the animals, but now I'm not satisfied. I want fellowship. I'm going to create man. And the likeness of me, he began to take some dirt and he began to take that dust and began to do something with it. In the word dust, the Greek word and meaning of that is called clay. What can you do with clay? You begin to mold clay, how you want it to form it and to shape it into whatever you want it to be. God said, I'm going to take the clay of this world and I'm going to form something into something that I think is going to be miraculous that I can have connection with and fellowship with. But God wasn't just satisfied in forming man. He drilled two holes right here and says, I'm going to breathe into his nostrils. And as he breathed breath, it's like heavenly CPR. He breathed life into you and I. Here's the cool thing about clay. Once it's shaped, it doesn't just stay that way. It's constantly being shaped and molded into what God wants us to be. How do you take dried clay and get it to form again? Can you answer that question? You've got to get it wet again. It gets a little bit muddy, right? So you can take clay and let it dry, and it looks good on the shelf. But you put water back on it, it gets muddy and dirty again. You can reshape it how you want it. In life, we know that the Scripture says we were formed from dust. God took clay and formed you and I. Through life, things happen. We get, we get muddy. We get a little dirty, and God has to form us daily, every day, into the image of who Christ is. Do you get that? 
It's a miraculous thing because we want to be clean all the time. Who doesn't want to be clean? And we always have, it's easy to be a Christian on a Sunday morning, right? We look fantastic. We're molded into what we think we should look like on a Sunday morning. We're going to go to church. We're going to praise him. We're going to worship him. By the way, worship team, you did a fantastic job this morning. It's great to see all these young people here on stage giving of their talents to worship the Lord. And on Sundays, it's easy to be that Christian because we know what we're supposed to be molded like on that Sunday. But it's when we live in this world that sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we do things. We're around other people and we get a little dirty. We're around other people that might make mistakes too or they do things and they get a little dirty. How many of you know that whenever you, as a single person, you were this one person walking in life and you wanted to meet that certain individual, that one particular spouse, and you got married. Everybody say married. And when you got married, you realize, oh no, they're going to see what I look like for real in the morning. Oh no, they're, they're going to they're gonna smell that bad breath. They're going to see all my flaws and my mistakes. And what happens in marriage, you do make mistakes. You live life. Sometimes you get a little messy. It gets a little muddy. But it's not for you and I to say, I, I, see, I see all that mud. I see all that mess. No, God calls you to a relationship because you're constantly being molded more to the image of Christ. You're just honored enough to be with someone for the rest of your life to see the mess. Not to call it out, but to be a part of it. Does it make sense? Some people get caught up on just seeing the mess in people. But you've got to look beyond the mess. Let me give you an explanation. I have a son who plays baseball. And he's pretty good at it, by the way. I just got to throw that in there. How many of you know that when you play baseball, sometimes the fields can get wet? And when the field gets wet, there's clay. It gets in their cleats, right? And so after baseball's done, baseball practice, man, my son has won the game or he's done a fantastic job. Whatever the case is, everybody, yeah, awesome. And then afterwards, they've got to get back in the car. So when you get back in the car and you're driving home and everybody's happy and then you get out of the car and the kids are getting out, it's like, what happened? There's mud all over the car. Who did that? And you're fussing at your kids. And I remember doing that one day and God had to show me a while back when I was preparing this message. I remember looking at the mud and I was so focused on the mud and fussing at my son for making a mess because he'd had mud on his shoes. And now it's in my car and I got to clean it. And God convicted me and said, look past the mud. When I began to look past the mud and the mess, I saw a vibrant, healthy son who loved life, who loved baseball, who loved his dad, loved his mom, loved his family, and he was all about having fun. But if I saw the mess, all I saw was the mess. But whenever you and I begin to look through life and there's messes created, whether we created it or someone else does, if we just look at the mess, all we're going to see is failure, a mistake, a mess that someone's made, their flaws, and their hurt, and their pain. But if we look beyond the mess, we see something way more powerful. God took dust and created you and I. Sometimes we're just going to get a little dirty, and we have to be okay with that. Sometimes your spouse is going to get a little dirty. You need to be okay with that. Sometimes your children are going to get a little dirty. You need to be okay with that. Your coworkers, your neighbors, the people that you're called to minister to, they're going to get a little dirty. It's okay. We don't need to stay that way because we've got to look past the mud. Do you understand? 
We're going somewhere with this. Everybody say amen. If you don't understand, just say amen. Okay. When I was at school in California, there was a scripture verse that someone shared with us in one of our classes. It was a hermeneutics class, how to interpret the Bible. And there was a scripture he shared with us that I was reminded of, and I began to write this scripture down. And I'm going to share it with you in just a moment. And he began to write these initials, NM, NM, above the scripture. And he just left it there for the whole class. <clears throat> so the whole class, we're all wondering, like, what does this mean? In the scripture, Proverbs 14.4 is what I'm going to share with you. There was meaning in the mud. Everybody say meaning in the mud. In the scripture he read, he wrote NM, NM, and began to talk about, interpret what the scripture meant. And at the end of the class, everybody's trying to come up with their own little uh, acrostic words of what it really meant of N-M-N-M. So we're going through, and let me just read the scripture to you in Proverbs 14.4. It says this, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of ox comes abundant harvest. So let me just go back and recap. Where there are no oxen, how many of you ever saw an oxen before? Unless you're deliberately looking for an ox, oxen, then you'll find one. But you don't really see them just randomly off the side of the road. But a lot of people used to use them, especially back in the time, to what? Harvest, or excuse me, to plow the ground so they could have a good harvest. They were very, very strong ox. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes abundant harvest. What does that mean? Ox will make a mess, if you know what I mean. If you get them out of the barn, if you get them out of the manger and get them to do what they're supposed to do, they're going to make a mess. And what you're going to have to do is clean up that mess. But nobody's willing to be the ox. They want the strength of an ox, but they don't want to have to clean up the mess of the ox. Does that make sense? Everybody wants the abundant harvest in the end. They want the blessing. They want the harvest. They see the fruit that people get to experience and enjoy in life. The ministry. The church, the marriage, the children, they want those things because it looks good. But they don't realize it took an ox to get out of that manger and begin to plow those grounds, begin to work really hard, the sweat of the brow, and there was mess along the way they had to clean up. And as they're doing that, in the end, there was an abundant harvest. They realized it took work, it took time, it took sacrifice. And the Bible says this, that where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. If you've got an empty manger back in the day, it, that word manger means this. It's a home. It symbolizes a home for someone. Whether it's your personal home, the church home, or your own personal temple, your home. You've got to understand this. It takes work. It takes the strength of an ox to get busy. No work. Excuse me. N-M-N-M means this. No mess. No ministry. At the end of that class, we were dumbfounded. We had no idea what it meant. But when he told us, it just clicked. We were all these little preacher boys that we wanted to do this wonderful ministry in the future, right? We saw what preachers and pastors would do. We saw missionaries. We didn't realize that it took the strength of that ox to get out of that manger and begin to plow the grounds and do the work of the ministry. And they begin to experience the harvest. We didn't realize. We saw the end result. We wanted that. Just like many of you will see that in other people's lives or other, other things. But if your manger, your home is empty, then it's just going to be dried up. But if you're willing to allow oxen, the strength of that ox to to remain and be there, it's going to get a little messy. Do you hear me? 
No mess, no ministry. That's why a lot of churches don't really grow that big because they're scared that they're just going to make a mess. They like their four and no more, and we're comfortable with that. But a lot of churches that want to grow and do impact the kingdom of God, you're going to have to be willing to get the ox into the field and begin to plow a little harder. You have to get out there and begin to serve. You know what ministry means? The actual word means to serve. It doesn't mean to preach. What, what I'm doing today is, is one thing. But beyond the pulpit, beyond the, uh, the chairs, beyond those doors, that's ministry. It's you and I serving, if you're married, your spouse, your children, serving your community, serving your coworkers, serving your neighbor. You begin to serve them, and there might be a little bit of mess involved. It's okay. But there is a harvest that is waiting to happen. And if the church is willing to plow a little bit harder with Pastor Goodluck and Angela, you're going to experience that harvest. I believe that you are on the right path. You're doing some great, great things. But when this church comes together in such a way that you're willing to experience a little bit more mess, you're going to see a whole lot more ministry. Do you understand? Everybody say no mess, no ministry. The mess indicates there's movement. It means there's something going on. The, br- the mess brings meaning. If you just focus on what the mess and the mud is, then you miss out on the meaning. There's a lot of times, even my own personal life, I get, I'm guilty of this, that we begin to focus just on the mistake and the mess that someone made. And when you're so focused on that thing because you want to prove yourself right, you miss out on the meaning behind it. That though there's a mess created here for a moment, we're so focused that we miss out on what God is really trying to show us. And this is so much more prevalent, especially if you are married, if you have children. Because we want to focus on the mistake that someone made. We're not looking past the mess and looking at the life, the meaning of what can go on with that. Because people can grow. People change. People are constantly being molded to what God wants us to be, which is the image of Christ. There's movement and there's life. There's a harvest. There might be a little mess, but it's okay. You ever heard a mom say after they gave birth to a child, man, I look like a mess. You ever heard somebody say that before? Okay, any moms out there that you gave birth to a human being, it's okay. You can afford a day or two or a week to be a mess. And all the men said... Uh, that was weak. That was horrible. <laughs> Ladies, you can stand up and say amen right now and say, you give birth to a human being. <laughs> amen? Yeah, I thought so. Y'all can say, say amen. All of them are like... <laughs> There's things that happen in life and we begin, to, we begin to get hard on ourselves because what? We made a little bit of a mess. But there's so many things that happen in the middle that God says you were made from dust. He took it. He made something out of it. So we know that we're made from it. So we're going to get a little messy sometimes. <coughs> Excuse me. That was horrible. And so God, God knows what he's really doing, but sometimes we just get caught up in the mess. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, I want to share this scripture with you because it's just a reminder, again, of who God is and who he made us to be. Genesis 3:19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to what? The ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. It is such a reminder that he says, 
By the sweat of your brow, you will eat it for your food until you return back to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Let me read another scripture to you in Psalms 103, 13 through 14. Just as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful. Listen to this. God is not surprised when there's mud. He's not surprised when there's a mess. He is mindful that we are what? Acts verse 14. So in first, first verse 13 it says, He is mindful that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass as a flower for the fields. And so he flourishes. God is so mindful of who we are. So it does, he didn't made us to be perfect. There's only one person who was perfect, who is Jesus. In life, there's mistakes that we're going to make. There's mistakes that other people would make. It's not surprising to him. He is mindful of that. We need to be reminded that even dust, clay as it's formed, it's fragile. And as we're being mindful the same way that God is, we need to understand this, that we just need to keep on doing the things that God calls us to do, no matter what it is. Deep down inside, each one of you, you know the things that you need to do. Keep on doing it. Don't stop. Personally, in your, in your family, with your children, at the workplace, live in such an integrity way that what you do, it complements the Word of God. <clears throat> and when you do, maybe there's going to be some messes along the way. That's okay, too. Because all the more you're being shaped more into the image of Christ. Because really the, the goal is this. You want the love of the Father to come in you, to flow through you, to touch other people. So you have to learn how to accept the love of God and who He is in His Scripture. Because more and more, it's not just you being changed, but it's for those who are around you. You want their lives to be changed as well. Can I get amen? It's not easy, is it? It's easy to be here today. I'm glad you're here. But why do you come to church? It's a question I do often ask myself, not in a bad way, but why do we really come to church? Is it just easy to become a Christian on Sunday and say, amen, hallelujah, preach pastor, and, say, and hear all these great scriptures and, and hear a great message and, and, sing, and sing worship music, but go about our way and realize we just became a great Christian here in this Sunday service, and we really didn't make that much of a mess here, but are we willing to go into the world and do what we just heard and sang about. Even though we might have a little bit of fear, though we might make a mistake, we might trip a little bit, are we willing to take those risks to touch someone else's lives? Are we willing to do that? There's meaning in the mud. Number two, there's mercy in the mud. Everybody say mercy. Mercy is this, compassion, forgiveness, even when we truly deserve to be punished. There's mercy in the mud. I'm going to give you a passage of Scripture, John 8, 1 through 10. I'm going to read some of this to you, and I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit just because I want you to get the bulk of the story. John chapter 8, 1 through 10 says, uh, well, let me go to this. Sorry. Let me go to my Bible. In John chapter 8, I love this story because it talks about something happening to a very specific person. And we know the story very well. Excuse me. John 8, starting verse 1. But Jesus, when he came to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning, he came again into the temple. As all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. 
says, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in adultery, and they, having, set, uh, having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this is the woman who's been caught in adultery. In the very act. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Well, what do you say? Verse 6. And they were saying this, testing him, Jesus, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger he began to write in the ground. He began to write in the dirt. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So here's something meaningful. Jesus showed mercy in the middle of the dirt. Someone who made a mess of her life, of what the Pharisees saw, what people would say, she made a mistake. But they were willing to take someone and display her mess and display her mistake before the whole crowd and even throw her at the feet of Jesus. And say, now, she's made a mess. She's full of a mess. What are you going to do, Jesus? Did Jesus say, oh, she's a woman caught in adultery. She has a sinful life, a sinful thing. Now let's cast her, the stone, and kill her. Did he say that? Did he mock her? He did not. He chose to stoop down before everyone. The very thing that he knew that they were all created from, he began to stoop down and say, I'm going to write in this dirt. What was he writing? Do we know? Does the Bible say? He began to write in the, script, uh, in, in, in the dirt, excuse me, the dust. And everybody was probably watching. What is he doing? Here's a woman that the Pharisees brought. Man, let's embarrass her. Let's, let's take the stones and let's cast her. Let's go ahead and kill her right now. But no, Jesus began to write in the dirt. And he began to say again, what do you want to do? Testing him. And he began to write. And he didn't stop. Then he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. They began to look around. It says from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave the crowd. Some scholars say that he was probably writing the sins of all the people standing around trying to judge this woman. From the oldest, because Jesus knew all of them. He knew all the things they did. Oh, John. John, you did a whole lot of stuff here. And John's like, I'm putting my stone down. I'm leaving this place. Oh, Billy. Billy, man, you, you stole a lot of things. You stole a lot of money. Billy left the crowd. One by one, they begin to leave the crowd. Did Jesus say anything? No. He began to write in the dirt. And what happened was the woman who they wanted to stone found mercy in the mud. She thought she was going to die. She thought Jesus was going to judge her. But instead, someone that came dragged out into the middle of the city at the feet of Jesus, she also found mercy right before him. There's so many times that you and I think that we're not deserving of who Christ is and what he has to offer. That we think that if we begin to say anything to him, that he's going to judge us and we're going to be condemned. And that is not true, my friend. Some of you think that if you begin to share your life and your story with other people, that they're going to begin to judge you. Some may judge you, but it's not up to them. The Word of God is the ultimate judge. What you're going to do is this. When you find yourself in the middle of something going on, you realize, I'm, I can't get through this. I'm hurt. 
I've experienced pain. I've gone through some things that nobody would ever experience. And you get a little vulnerable. You begin to step out. You're going to find this. You're going to find mercy at the feet of Jesus. And I challenge you that the more that you step out in your life and begin to love God and love people, you're going to find mercy at the feet of Jesus. Jesus was riding in the dirt. We have no idea. He could have just wrote forgiven. And that just freaked everyone out and they began to run left and right. How many of you remember the story of the prodigal son? He took all the riches of his, heavenly, of his father, excuse me, and began to go into the city and he began to burn it. He began to spend it. And when he came back, he had nothing. He was a homeless person. Do you know that his father was waiting at the end of that dusty road? That his father was waiting for his son who was probably filthy, dirty, smelling like pigs. And his father embraced him, nothing with mercy. And the same thing with you and I, there's mercy at the end of that road when we go to our Heavenly Father. And because whenever you experience that mercy, it's other people who need to experience the mercy of our Father. There's meaning in the mud. Everybody say, there's meaning in the mud. And there's mercy in the mud. Everybody say, there's mercy in the mud. Last but not least, there's a miracle in the mud. How many of you remember making mud pies as a kid? Did you ever eat that mud pie? Oh, yeah, some of you are like, I sure did. I even sold a few in my neighborhood. Not only did you eat it, but you made money off of it. There's miracle in the mud. What am I trying to say with the miracle in the mud? In the Bible, it not only talks about that we're made from dust, we're made from dirt. Not only does it say that we find mercy in the mud, where Jesus begins to write in it, and somebody actually finds mercy, they find their salvation in it. We see there's actually a miracle in here as well. There's multiple miracles. In this passage, in John chapter 9, there's a blind man at the edge of a dusty road in a city that's busy. People are going by left and right. In John chapter 9, I don't have time to really go through and read it, but I'm going to paraphrase it in such a way that you can understand it. It says that this man was blind and the people began to talk about him, that he's blind because of the sins of his father, maybe because of the sin that he's committed. So what did they do? Here's a blind man right here. People walk by him every day, doing life, living life, living like with their family, living life, leaving the blind man right here, not asking, not doing anything for not serving, don't even care about him. This man is cursed. Walking by him every single day. The road is dusty as they walk. Horses, the oxen, people are walking. The dust is flying. He's full of dirt. They don't want to mess with him. He stinks. He's muddy. Jesus comes into the crowd. People begin to say, there's a blind man. Don't go near him. He's cursed. What did Jesus do? He stopped. The man could not see, but he could hear. Do you think a blind man could hear when someone stopped in his presence? You better believe he did. But the man never said, is that you, Jesus? Please heal me. He didn't say a word. He didn't even ask Jesus to heal him. Jesus just stopped because of his loving kindness and his mercy and began to do something that no one thought that you and I would even think he would do. He knelt down again next to the blind man. And the Bible says, he spit in the dirt. He did what? He coughed up a loogie and he spit in the dirt and he made a mud pie. 
What did he do with the mud pie? He put it on the blind man's eye. When he put it on the blind man's eye, what does the Bible say happened? He began to see for the first time. He never asked to be healed. It wasn't the mud. It wasn't Jesus' spit that made the blind man see. The Bible says that sometimes God does miraculous things to display the love of God. He stopped to say, I'm just going to show you how good God is. All of you don't care about this man. You see him as a dirty, filthy man. But I'm just going to stop. I'm going to make a little mud pie with my spit. Chop, chop, chop. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going to slap it on his eye. Splat. What do you think the blind man was thinking? Jesus, what are you doing? Put it on his eye. And the man began to see. Now he says, go. Went to the pool of Shalom, it says. And he began to wash his eyes. And he began to see for the first time in his life. What do you think that man did? What would you do if that was you and you were the blind man? You begin to see for the first time in your entire life. Would you be quiet? What would you do? You can talk back to me. It's okay. What would you do? I would shout. What else would you do? Come on. I would tell somebody. Hello. I pulled the pastor. Good luck. Hello. Hello. I'm going to tell somebody. I'm going to tell somebody that I can see. Now, what do you think the crowd began to do? Who is this Jesus? What in the world? He just, this man was sin and cursed. Why did he want to heal somebody like that? No, he just performed a miracle. When nobody else saw a way or a miracle, Jesus just stopped and said, I'm going to show you the love of God right here, right now, how good he is. Do you think that man's life was radically changed? Yes or no? Yes. Let me ask you a question. We're going somewhere with this. Has Jesus performed a miracle in your life? At the age of 16, whenever I was in Jennings, Louisiana, a small town of eight, 9,000 people, somebody came to me and said, hey, we want you and your family to go to church. Go, go to where? Come to church with us. Just like on the video, somebody invited this man to church. You saw the process. That was me. I was 16 years old. On the inside, I was kind of making fun. I liked the person, but I was kind of making fun of the situation. But we went to church. We literally took the, the Bible off of our shelves. I'm not kidding. We took the Bible off of our shelves in our home. We had to dust them off because they were not used. And we went to church. And we began to hear and see people's lives that were radically changed. And about a month later, October the 14th, in 1990, this person gave his heart to Jesus. That was a miracle. I wasn't going to church. I didn't even know who Jesus was. The only thing I knew about Jesus was if I went to my grandmother's house and we saw Jesus on this crucifix because she was a, Catholic, a good Catholic and she had, she had all these crosses and crucifixes above every door in her house where this particular one was on the table and I got so mad at my twin brother that I, I have an identical twin brother, by the way. I took the cross. I got so mad. I went to go hit him with it, believe it or not, but I stopped because I remembered I picked up Jesus and I didn't know who he was. But I heard about him, and I wasn't going to hurt him, so I, I put it down, and I kind of tapped it, and I said, I'm so sorry, Jesus. And then I punched my brother. <laughs> that was all that I knew about Jesus, where there was something special about him. But when I came to know him at 16, it changed my life. And the path that I was going on wasn't very good at that time. And along the road of my life, he's performed many miracles. What did I do? I began to go tell people. It was too good to hold inside. It was too good to keep to myself. 
You follow me? There's meaning in the mud. There's mercy in the mud. And there's miracles in the mud all around you. Don't get so caught up that you're so focused on the mess that you miss out beyond it because your miracle is right around the corner. Many of you are crying and you're, 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 we always tell our kids, don't whine, don't complain, and, and don't wham wham. Can I say wham wham? I'm from Louisiana. Stop wham wham. Don't wham wham like that. My kids go, wham wham, what's wham wham? We have this little pity party for ourselves, don't we? Almost like somebody owes us something. Then we cry, we complain sometimes because it doesn't matter if it's physically, emotionally, financially, but we have this little pity party like something better happen. I'm going to go to church today. I'm going to tithe. Something better happen. No, 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 no. You got it all backwards. That's not how you get your miracle. Sometimes even right in the midst of your mess, when you're just willing to step out and trust Jesus, the man had to actually do something. He had to reach out. The blind man had to reach out and accept what Jesus was doing. And right now, Jesus is doing something in your life. All you have to do is reach out. Right before Jesus was crucified, do you know what they did? In the book of Matthew, chapter 27, they were so mad at Jesus because of all the things he was doing to people, performing miracles left and right, showing and displaying the love of God. Do you know what they did? They were so mad at him, they took him to the governor, Pontius Pilate. They brought him to the actual place, the feast, where the Pontius Pilate was throwing a feast, a party. They brought him and the crowd was grumbling. They were mad because of all the things that Jesus was doing. And the, the, the noise created such a ruckus that Pontius Pilate had to stop what he was doing and come out. There's the Pontius Pilate. We have some man named here. His name is Jesus. He calls himself the Messiah, the chosen one, performing miracles. What do you want to do with this man? Pontius Pilate was like, what has he done? What sin has he committed? They really had nothing on him, the Bible says, other than he claims to be the Messiah. He's performing miracles. Pontius Pilate said, well, at this time of the year, typically I give someone to you that you can release. So I'm going to give someone to you that you can release, and you have to choose. They begin to bring out somebody by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas led a rebel against the governor. And in the midst of doing that, the Bible says he murdered people. He killed someone. He was worthy of the death penalty, not Jesus Everyone knew Barabbas because of what he has done. He led the insurrection. He led a horrible life. They knew the sin he committed. He was worthy of the death penalty. But here stood Barabbas, and here stood Jesus. And they said, who do you want me to release to you? And the crowd said, give us Barabbas. That threw Pilate for a huge loop. He did not expect them to say that. How in the world could a man so loving as Jesus just stand there and do nothing and not save himself, though he could? Why did he answer for himself and say, but I've done all these things and defend himself? He didn't do it. And Barabbas stood there laughing, mocking Jesus. And the crowd was yelling and screaming back, 
Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And it says the Pharisees went to the crowd and began to tell people and sway them to vote for Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Give us Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. It doesn't make any sense, does it? But Jesus would stand there in silence. Knowing that a mess has been created. The Pharisees were against him. The people were turning their back on him. People he's done miracles for were turning their very back. The disciples even turned their back on Jesus. But Jesus knew that he had to stand there and allow the love of the Father to flow in him and through him to love Barabbas. Because he knew that's the only way that he could love Barabbas. What was Jesus doing in that moment? He was loving Barabbas. The, the man who led the insurrection. The man who was a rebel. The man who led in so much sin. He murdered people. Jesus was standing there loving Barabbas in the middle of his mess. Giving him mercy. The people chose Barabbas, but so did Jesus. How could a man do such a thing? They released Barabbas. Did he thank Jesus? No, he did not. They took the cuffs and the chains off, and Barabbas walked into the crowd and began to mock Jesus with the crowd. Never said, thank you. Now I have my life to live. I don't have to die. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for finding him. No, he mocked him, and he left. And what did they do to Jesus? Pilate said, I'm going to wash my hands of this. I have nothing to do. Crucify him. Crucify him. In that very moment, the love of the Father was being displayed in such a way. The love of Jesus was loving Barabbas. Jesus allowed the love of God to flow in him, to flow and touch Barabbas. It was a mess. There are so many people who, yes, they might be deserving of punishment in hell itself. But Jesus stood in the gap for those people. He stood in the gap for you and I. He never said, take me from this pain. Father, I understand your will. It is a mess in this world, but I'm willing to die for this mess. I'm willing to give life for this mess. I'm, giving, I'm willing to give life for every Barabbas in this world. And did Jesus do it? Yes or no? Yes. To the cross, he died. There's life, there's meaning, and there's miracles in the mud. You might think that you're a Barabbas and you're not worthy, but you are. You might think someone else's life is not worthy, but it is. You might think because of your mistakes that you've made and the things you've done, that you can't go any further, it's just too painful, I can't go through it. Yes, you can. There's miracles in the mud. If you will, with me, just close your eyes. Where you are this morning, I want to invite you. God is already speaking to you, so I don't need to go too further into this. Maybe you need a miracle today in your life. Maybe you need a miracle with one of your children. Maybe you need a miracle in your marriage. 
Maybe you need a miracle in your finances at work. You can fill in the blank better than I can of where you need that miracle. You may be here today, you were like me at the age of 16, that you, you just need to accept Christ. You need to take that first step and invite him into your life to radically change it. That's your first step. Wherever you are today, I know that God is speaking to many of you. My challenge to you today is this, that you leave here not the same person that you came into these doors. That you take one more step in front of you and take a step of faith, trusting him, knowing that you have meaning, you have mercy, and you have a miracle. It's waiting for you and your obedience, no matter what it is. So right where you are, I want to ask you a question. Say, Dwight, I'm here today and I've never fully trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never taken that step. I thought I have. I'm not sure. But I know for a fact today I need to take that step. I need to pray and ask Christ to come into my life and accept him as Jesus, as Jesus as Lord in my life. If that's you, just raise your hand and put it down. If that's you. Okay. All right. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? For those who raised your hand, I want you to pray with me. And I want the whole church to pray with me out loud. We don't want to make you uncomfortable, but we support you. And that hand being raised saying, I'm taking a step today to trust him. Because I need to know that there's meaning in my life. And I need to know that God is with me every step of the way. And I'm trusting him today. If you raise your hand, church, pray with me out loud. Jesus, today, I trust you. Forgive me of all my sins. I believe, Lord, that you died on that cross and you've forgiven me of all my sins. Today, you are my Lord and you're my Savior. I trust you with everything. In Jesus' name, amen.